1: Hello everybody. Welcome to IntelliCast. My name is Brian Lamar. Today, as always, joined by Brian Peterson. Hello, sir.
2: Hello.
0: How are you?
1: Man, I'm good. And a special guest for the next couple of minutes. We used to call her co-producer or... It's associate
0: uh, producer, Emma.
1: Yeah, associate producer, intern, Emma Nichols, who does a lot of stuff behind the scenes and has for years. Um, so, we wanted to bring her on to talk about Insights Marketing Day. Um, we have Sequoia Glenn in the first section and Miles Rote in the second. We'll talk more about them in a second. But first off, I'd love to talk to you guys about uh, Insights Marketing Day, which is October 6th in Chicago. You two are attending. Is this your first conference, Emma? Mm-hmm,
2: yeah.
1: Are you excited?
2: I am. I'm looking forward to
1: it. <laughs> I think
2: it's going to be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. Brian, are you looking for? This is like your third or fourth
0: one. This is my fourth one. I've yeah. I've attended three and been a speaker at one, so this is number four. I am looking forward to it. It is nice one, nice to get out of town, see some other people, give the handshakes, kiss the babies, kind of thing. Um, but it is a good lineup this year. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: Well, it's
0: different. It's different from past years. I don't think. I think there's only one repeat speaker that I saw
1: from previous years. So. Okay, that's nice. I mean, the people that I interviewed were fantastic. And every time I interviewed someone, I'd get jealous. So I would be looking forward to it if I were you as well. What are you most looking forward to, Emma?
3: Ooh, I guess for me. Well, first of all, I've never been to Chicago. So I'm excited just oh, wow. to go see Chicago. Uh, I'm really looking forward to meeting a bunch of people whose names I've heard, who I've seen on LinkedIn, finally getting to meet them in person, um, specifically Priscilla from Little Bird. I took her digital transformation class this spring. And so I'm looking forward to giving her a big hug when I see her. I love her. Um, and then, yeah, getting to spend some quality time with Brian Peterson will be fun. And, you know, the marketing department gets to do our little thing. So, yeah. and the speakers are going to be great. After listening to these interviews i've just been counting down the days so
1: awesome do will you have time to do anything in chicago other than the conference
3: i don't think so we're pretty
0: (laughs)
2: jam-packed okay
1: yeah
0: we have conference we're gonna do the wire happy hour that comes right after that oh yeah but i mean we get in late evening the night before and we fly out late evening that night so we're in and out pretty quick
1: okay well i'm glad that you, you two are going um I'm a little jealous that I don't get to go. Again, this is October 6th in Chicago, Insights Marketing Day. Um, And on this episode, Sequoia Glenn, I was part of this interview, and she's the principal consultant at 924 Co-op. I loved talking to her. I don't know about how you felt, Brian, but I'm pretty sure we have an E rating on this episode. Is this our first one?
0: This is our first E. So yeah, as you're listening to this, please, if you have kids in the car, you you might want to hold off on that.
1: So yeah, It's not bad. It's just a little bit salty. We're all adults, right? Right. Um, and that's just who she is. She, Sequoia is amazing. She is super talented. Her goal in life is to be like the Oprah of marketing research, I think. And she will absolutely achieve that. Um, so I think you'll really love that. And maybe, Brian, can you tell us more about Miles?
0: Yeah. So Miles is the author strategist at Scribe Media. So he's going to be talking about essentially what people need to do if they want to write a book. He has a really cool backstory, uh, used to be a PI, then made a, it's a, almost a career 360, went down to Costa Rica, became a yoga instructor, and now wrote a book, and is now, is that author strategist for Scribe Media, helping other people write their books. So it was a really interesting conversation he and I had, so I hope everyone enjoys it.
1: Well, we've joked around, but semi-jokingly, that I would like to write a book someday. So um, I think you'll maybe push me a little bit on that, which is p- part of Brian's role. He knows this, is to push me. <laughs> he does a pretty good job of it. So uh, um, to the public, thank you for doing that, Brian. I really appreciate yeah. it. Um, Just- good job on that as well.
0: As you and I talked yesterday, I have an outline that I put on maybe as a 2023 goal. So- oh my God. <laughs> all
1: right. Well, with no further ado, I hope you all stick around and listen to the Sequoia. And miles interviews and hopefully that you'll get to meet emma and brian in chicago on october 6th joining us now i am so happy to have sequoia glenn joining us sequoia how are you
3: i am good hey (laughs) y'all
1: it's so good to see you um sequoia is the principal consultant at 924 co-op right
3: yes you got it right
1: and among many things we'll get into today Um, She's speaking of Insights Marketing Day. I'm super excited to hear what she's talking about. Maybe let's start with a little bit of your background, Sequoia, and I'll probably have questions throughout because I, I love your background
3: yeah so I am like a Barbie doll, right? So every time I knew I wanted to get into marketing and or in something with math and marketing, but I didn't really know about marketing research at the time. Um so I graduated college in twenty thirteen and if y'all remember, it was kind of like coming still around that recession period, but not so bad as when I went into college, but also not as good as now at the same time so I started um, at corporate Winn Dixie for y'all Southerners on the call. You probably know um, Winn Dixie and Bilo. I know um, Winn
1: Dixie.
3: Listen, I love it, right? And, and um, we, I started as a promotions coordinator. So I was a temp, making a little bit of money, a lot of work, but I learned a lot. And I got into um, pricing analysts um, and like kind of like putting trends together and just geeking out. You know, I was at the time I was in my MBA program. And I needed kind of a level up in my work, but of course I wasn't getting paid for it. So I moved on um, and to do things that were exhilarating. And I loved media, have been in like doing little, you know, after school programs and stuff with media since elementary. And I get a call from a newspaper saying they want to start a digital department. They think I had what it takes to this day. I have no idea what they saw because I only had one real job after college on my resume, but they saw something in me and that that skyrocketed my career. Um, Truly, I got introduced to Nielsen and and ratings and metrics, and I just started geeking out on really connecting audiences um, for our uh, newspaper, uh, radio, cable, all these different things, connecting those audiences with brands and really doing it in a data-driven and strategic way. And so that's really landed me over the past dating myself 11, 12 years, um, I've had the privilege of working with some really good brands, um, not only on the media side, but also if you pretty much, if you wear it or you eat it somewhere in there, I've probably, or even slept in a hotel around the world, I've probably touched a brand through um, research and advertising.
1: Oh, I've got so many questions, um, but you're going to be speaking about, um, let's put the marketing back in marketing research. And just if someone knows you for like five minutes, you can tell, you can see your energy and that you are good at marketing and clearly good at marketing research um, so much that you've earned a nickname of Data Bay, which I'm so fascinated with. And you have your own um, um, online show, is that what you call it, for the Black Marketers Coalition called If You Know, You Know, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I, at the time when I created If You Know, You Know, it was kind of in that same uh, area of um, the pandemic. Y'all remember pandemic wave one where there was nothing to do. It's like yep. literally all you could do is sit in your apartment and look across the way and wave at your other neighbors, right? Yep. So um, we were bored as shit, to be very honest. And we were like, look, at the time um, Netflix came out with The Social Dilemma and we were in our group chat with the Black Markers Coalition. And we were just like talking like, all right, what do we have to talk about with it? Or hey, did y'all think Meta planted this to to do something? Or do you think these people are mad? We just were like talking about all these conspiracies. And I said, well, y'all let's hold a zoom call and invite our friends and talk shit about it. Literally. That was the, the premise of, if you know, you know, yeah. and uh, hashtag I Y if you know, okay. So I Y K Y K. It was also trending on black Twitter. So that was the show. What started truly with one episode became a movement. Um, in November, we will be entering into, uh, into season three. And we just talk about yeah. things, from Black perspectives, giving our making our own table and talking about things that either impact us or that we get cut out of the conversation when discussing professional uh, workings in marketing.
1: Uh, I'm gonna subscribe. Number one, number two, you said trending on Black Twitter. Yes. <laughs> Tell me more about that.
3: <laughs> so uh, Black Twitter is a uh, uh, it's not a literal space. So y'all do not search in your app store for Black Twitter. It does not exist. But You know, with diversity, which is what I largely talk about, is there are subcultures within apps, within technology, within industries that foster relationships and foster conversation. So if you are a Black person and you use Twitter, lovely algorithms, they start serving you content that you want to see. A lot of that content goes viral in our world. And then the general pop, is like, wait, what? That's a big thing? Or... So if you know, you know, at the time, it was like one of those kind of like slide things. So kind of like if um, let's make it funny, something like, oh, if he offers to uh, take you out and you don't have enough money in your bank account, (laughs) if you know, you know, you got your meal free for the night, little stuff like that. (laughs) So it started as something really funny. um, But now you can actually look on Eventbrite. You can look every uh, other places. Um, I did not trademark. If you know, you know. Um, As I did my other stuff, but it really is a a phrase that came from organic conversation within ourselves. And now it's a movement across various um, disciplines.
1: That's so fascinating. I'm a subscriber to that. And I'm going to have lots of follow-up questions that will not be probably podcast friendly. So they'll just be (laughs) in the way. That's Um, fine. (laughs) Let's talk about your session. October 6th, you're going to be speaking about let's put the marketing back in marketing research. Um, Tell us more about that.
3: So I am so excited. I actually gave the Insights Association's chapter. Um, it was up in the Philly tri-state area. Yeah. I think maybe over a year ago. Um, How I met many of um, the insights professionals that I know today. But we just talked about really, it kind of, y'all, so the thing about me is this. When I get pissed off, and if you've heard me speak, I talk about this all the time. If I get pissed off, my greatest work happens. Yeah. So i was working for a company who shall not be named, no disparaging comments. Um, but I felt like they were making bad analysis, essentially, on marketing data because they didn't know marketing. You had a whole bunch of people coming straight out of college that studied economics, political science, um, statistics, which is wonderful. Those are great, Right but they've never run a marketing campaign a day in their life. They don't know basic four P's, seven P's, whatever it is today. They don't know what um, a campaign even is. So you have people testing marketing, but they don't know marketing. And so when I came in this organization, as you said, at the beginning of the call, you know, like I'm just bursting energy. People love it or hate it. I'm okay. Not being everybody's cup of sweet tea, but what I do know is marketing, I've dedicated my career and my education to it. And it grinds my gears when people are not using the right vernacular to explain things. So um, or they're not, they're not really making the right conclusions based on the data. Um, and, and in our industry. I would say it's very important to know both fields. You don't have to be a marketing genius per se, but do you know exactly what brand recall is before saying, "Hey, we've noticed that your brand is growing." If you don't know what recall is and what all goes into it, you can very well say tell somebody, "Well, yeah, that one campaign increased your recall" when in fact it could have been PR. It could have been a sponsorship. It could have been advertising. It could have been that they have a CEO that just gave a billion dollars somewhere. That all makes that brand recall increase. So I pretty much kept getting pissed that these um, younger people, namely at this organization, were out here telling people that these things happen singularly from this campaign when in totality there's a few more things you need to think about from an attribution standpoint and if you were a marketer you would know a little bit deeper than that so i'm going to be talking on october 6th in chicago i'm going to be talking about basic things in marketing you need to know and stay um stay kind of like your your ear to the street about so that you can really not just do data readouts, but actually draw insights from that data, contextualize it, and present it in a more holistic fashion.
1: I can, That's so exciting. Brian, are you, you have to be there for this one. And I am. it for me and send it to me?
0: Yes, I will have my phone up. I'm going to record it as she's talking. I'm going to be probably front row doing this, Koya. Move my I'm phone back for and me. forth as you walk. Um, that is, as a marketer here. That you are preaching to the choir at this point, like it's not one thing. It's lots of touches. It's not just that single campaign. It's the three campaigns here. It's the news thing that came out. It's your community initiative. It's your competitor just screwing up and seeing something else come up.
3: Absolutely, and and it's and it was fresh. It was so frustrating because I had this one client, and it was actually the day I knew for a fact I could not save this organization they kept saying, um, it was something like the word they were saying was like, oh, it was like awareness something. And I was like, that's not the actual term. Like there's an actual marketing term for this. And I kept changing all the slides because the company actually made it part of the company's language. And I'm like, y'all, this isn't Sequoia talking. This is the uh, American (laughs) Society for Marketing and my AMA and all these other groups. That's not a word. It's not a thing. And if you go out there and especially, you know, as an entrepreneur now, I have professional consulting liability insurance, right? Mm -hmm. So that if I say something wrong, that doesn't happen. But if I do, I'm protected, right? In a company, you don't really think about that as an employee. You're just like doing your best. But I already had the entrepreneurial mind, like, uh, I don't want to say something and it's not right. Can we look a little deeper? Can we really make sure that if we're saying we're marketing researchers, which at some point, the word market went to marketing. I don't, I don't know the history there as much as some of the senior researchers. But if we're gonna start seeing we're shifting more and more into marketing research, we gotta know our shit. Or you will fuck some shit up. And that's how we end up with the Peloton botched ads and the Walmarts with the red velvet Juneteenth bullshit. We have to really, really, really know the know the industry in which we're studying if we want to have deeper and deeper insights and not just a numerical readout or even you know even just a oh this is what they said okay well why did they say that did you really look at those multi touch attribution points so y'all going to hear my soapbox on the sixth about it i'm excited oh.
1: look so quiet i'm just so glad that i met you and i know you've been in the industry for about 10 years and you've been doing this for a while but i just got to know you in the past year or so and your voice is loud and you're speaking you're talking about it a little bit differently. And this is something we need to hear. Um, we need to hear this kind of stuff. I feel like we've sat, we've been insulated as an industry for way too long. And so we have people come in. We need this kind of disruption a little bit from lots of different angles. This is just one of the angles.
3: Yeah, absolutely. That I love I love breaking things and I love disrupting. <laughs> and, and sometimes I am loud and wrong, right? But that's part of my growth. And I try to be um personal enough and humble enough to chronicle my journey. Hey, I thought I knew this and I didn't and just keep growing. But what I do know, I try to speak about and go to these conferences, meeting people like you where we can share our knowledge and all of us listen to each other and learn and keep growing and showing what we know.
1: Well, I would encourage people to add you on LinkedIn. You're so good on LinkedIn. And, you know, we've had, we probably had one 20 minute conversation and a couple of five minute conversations mostly over food, which is a reflection <laughs> of myself. Our listeners aren't going to be um, surprised by that. But I feel like you're doing an incredible job of personalizing your content and building that brand. And sometimes you're very vulnerable on LinkedIn and with what you say. And You're not afraid of that at all.
3: Mm-mm. I mean, listen, first of all, thank you. I, I just feel like when I was in corporate, and no diss to corporate, because corporate is also paying my bills. So let's be very <laughs> clear. I have to have a customer, right? But I do feel like because my background was in media, it was a lot of regulations, just like for those that consult at a big four. You you don't belong to yourself. Your thoughts are no longer your own. So I had to walk a very fine line with co- companies that were transparently conservative. I, I will never forget the newspaper I worked at I left right before the 2016 election, and I was glad I left when I did because that was, um, I would never forget Trayvon Martin and um, the George Zimmerman case had just wrapped, and I'm, if y'all see me, for those that will see me speaking in person or, or virtually, I usually wear statement t-shirts. That's like my thing is also like a resurgence of like, you know, graphic T-shirts for all cultures right now. And so I, re- I uh, wore this shirt that had at the time like the top five black men that had been killed senselessly um, during that period. Now we know it's hundreds that have been popularized um, in a way. And I wore that shirt to work. I truly didn't think nothing of it, y'all. I did not think anything. I just said, hey, they don't know who these people are. It had no nothing. It was literally a black T-shirt with white writing and first names. And um, I got sent home and this is a true story. Um, My friend worked in HR at the time and she said, hey, you know, um, someone complained, a few people complained about your shirt. Um, And because of the guideline here, we are at a media company, a conservative newspaper. You are not, here's the dress code policy and there are to be no political affiliations or politically charged attire here, as well as tattoos. This is like five tattoos ago now, um, but you know, no tattoos. You're, the men had to wear suits. We had to wear pantyhose. I mean, this is real deal. 2015 still being mandated to wear a full suit in Florida and stockings. I'm a big girl, too hot. So I'm already <laughs> kind of pushing the needle, right? So I wore a shirt and I got, I was, they were within their right to send me home. And that changed my trajectory of my career in the sense of I never wanted to work another place where I couldn't even wear a suggestive statement of my beliefs. I don't care if someone wears religious um, uh, attire. I don't care if someone wears their pride things. I don't care what bumper stickers you have about anti-abortion, even if I don't believe in it, because for me, that's on you. But for whatever reason, those people, several people took the time to go to the HR office and complain just for my simple presence in this building. That's the singular moment I realized my power in the career world that I can shut up, wear something, and somebody's going to notice. And so I chose to let that fuel my journey and go to job to job to job. I, I am an 18 monther and then I peace out. Um, I went to job to job to job and le- really learned myself, learned the world, and figured out what type of professional do I want to be. And that is one that is vulnerable, empathetic, and also a leader to say what I want to say for those that aren't necessarily there just yet.
1: Oh my gosh. Um, What amazing thing you learned at a young age, I think, that you can give back to people early in their careers. I feel like I've had a lot of those, maybe not quite like that moment that you had, but similar career kind of Epiphanies, yeah, happened when I was much older, and so I'm trying to give back and help younger people, newer people into the industry, things like that. Um, But you are so much more relevant. You're still very young, and you can help. I think you can give back a lot to younger people in this industry with that story. That's amazing.
3: Thank you, thank you. It's it's one of those that you kind of try to shake off, and then it's like, yeah, it's part of my
1: yeah, Yeah. exactly, absolutely. Well. Let's move on to this four Ps. Um, I hope y'all are as excited as I am about insights marketing. Dave Sequoia, are you gonna curse on stage? I hope you bring it on stage, Sequoia.
3: You know, I think I, I think I don't think Priscilla will will cringe unless I say more than seven. So I'm gonna try <laughs> to keep it under seven and really nail it in when I can.
1: Don't you gotta do it on purpose? It's just who you are. It's passion.
3: <laughs> it's just who I am. It's easier. <laughs> All
1: right, four Ps. We take the marketing mix Ps. And we make them kind of fun to get to know Sequoia. A lot of times we have to do the four P's to get to know a lot of researchers. Most researchers are kind of boring. Like my, Well, a lot of us are boring. <laughs> Not you. I don't even know if we needed the four P's to get to know you. But we're going to do it anyway. Um, first piece, perform. What's something that, don't, that most people don't know about you? Do you have a hidden talent or anything?
3: I do. So first tattoo, um, yeah. it's all about music. So I went to, very privilege to go to the Davidson Fine Arts Magnet School in Augusta, Georgia. One of the top 100 schools in a nation. Um, My talent was vocal performance and classical music. Oh, my God. Piano. So I played piano for about 10 or 11 years. I do not play anymore. I need to get back to it. Um, And then the other was the classical performance. So I can truly say I know people that literally performed be- um, behind Beyonce, Kanye West, produced for like Jennifer Lopez. Like we went to the high school musical. That was my school. So um. Don't ask me to sing because I'm a little raspy today, but know that I can. And it does make a difference in my career.
1: (laughs) Oh, I bet. Um, That's Mm -hmm. amazing. All right. Um, Pandemic. What's something fun or quirky that you started doing during the quarantine? You started your own business.
3: I Um, did.
1: But was there anything else fun or quirky?
3: Yeah, I gained like 35 pounds, so I think yeah. that's funny, quirky as well. I yeah. baked a lot. Um, I I was very fortunate to get a KitchenAid for like 180 bucks. That was 500 before the pandemic, and um, yes, I baked a lot of banana bread. Uh, oh. I learned my grandma's uh cream cheese pound cake recipe, and uh, perfected my peach cobbler. And actually, during the holidays, I have a thing called not not your auntie's cooking where people that have to go to other people's houses but don't want to get catered food, I cook as if it's theirs in a take-and-bake fashion, freeze it, and then I deliver it so that they can pretend that is their auntie's food. So that's a fun one.
1: Oh my gosh.
3: I have to bring you Kate.
1: (laughs) I love the South. I went to school in Georgia. I was just there a couple times recently. I love the South so much. I miss it.
3: Anytime you come back, I, I'll, I'll have to make some dinner for you. How about that? Oh
1: my, goodness. you know I'll take you up on it.
3: I know you will. Some
1: people <laughs> are saying that I will take you up on it,
3: and I will take you up on it too. I love to, I love to host people. That's the thing.
1: Yeah, well, Sequoia, it's quite, so nice having you on. It's so good to see your smiling face. Um, you're certainly my cup of sweet tea. Um, yeah. I think you're most everybody's cup of sweet tea. So I really appreciate you joining. Anything you want to promote? You have a website, um, yeah, channel.
3: Yeah. So, um, y'all, if you are looking for speakers, um, if you want more of this, um, my website is my name, <laughs> SequoiaGlen.com. Um, I also have a passion brand of mine called HappyResignationDay.com, um, that really kind of all the things I just talked about with my career, we turn them into greeting cards to really celebrate people moving on from jobs or holding on to dear God or whoever they believe in to stay on one. So, HappyResignationDay.com is really a movement that. Um, is about you know the whole quiet, quitting, great resignation yeah. that I want y'all to, talk, uh, to check out. And then of course, my baby, Black Marketers Coalition. It's my baby. Allies are welcome every first Thursday, unless it is the first of the month. We meet at 12 o'clock, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook. So check us out on LinkedIn and you'll get all the information.
1: Awesome. Sequoia, thank you so much for joining. Give Brian Peterson a hug in Chicago for me. I appreciate it.
3: I sure Take will. Thanks, way. friends.
1: All right, bye bye.
0: Joining me now is Miles Rote, the author strategist at Scribe Media. Miles, thanks for joining me.
2: Yeah, Brian, thanks for having me. Excited to be here.
0: Yeah. Um, you are going to be one of the presenters at Insights Marketing Day coming up here on October 6th in Chicago. Before we kind of jump into what you're going to be talking about there, uh, I kind of want to talk about your background a little bit. I did a little research, it hmm. was very interesting. So, I know it says you used to be a private investigator. So how do you make that jump from private investigator to author strategist? It seems like that's a, <laughs> it's a very wide pivot.
2: Yeah, it is indeed. You have done your research. Uh, I was on track to be in the FBI and the CIA, and that was kind of like a life goal and dream of mine. And part of that track was becoming a, a PI, and I loved it, it was awesome. I had chronic pain for 20 years, and when I was able to heal my chronic pain, it was this opportunity to basically ask myself, is the life that I'm living the one that I want to live? And uh, I woke up to kind of the realization that from the pain to my career to basically everything in my life, it was prescribed based on my childhood, based on things that had happened to me, not necessarily of my own agency and things that I actually wanted. So it was an opportunity to kind of with a fresh lens of no longer experiencing chronic pain for 20 years to say, what is it that I actually want? If if I had to kind of just be able to choose my life from now and start it over, what would it look like? So I paused kind of like, quit is another way of saying it. I quit my career as a private investigator and I became a yoga teacher. I moved to Costa Rica and basically just the way that I had been living my life, I turned it all on its head and tried to live very differently, Uh, not from my patterns and who I used to be, but who I kind of wanted to become and the life that I wanted to create. I was open to still doing the FBI, CIA and all of that, but very quickly, realize that that was not for me. So um, being in Costa Rica, I was able to learn how to you know, work from my computer. I became a digital nomad, as they <laughs> used to call it and still do, I suppose, and really got involved with digital marketing and started to run a retreat company and did that for a few years. And once I really got the kind of uh, the marketing experience under my belt, I became a partner at a digital marketing agency in Austin. And then it was like, okay, how can I put these skills to use that I've developed in a way that feels good for me to create an impact that I wanna create and make. And I was working with influencers and other people at the time, but I really wanted to scale it. And Scribe Media, um, which is the company I work for now, where I'm the author strategist was doing exactly that of leading with impact and making a difference through publishing books and and sharing stories. So and it was also appropriate for me, you know, helping others share their story and, and tell their story and kind of rewrite their life is something that resonates with me based on the the trajectory that my life has taken. So it felt like a great fit and and I love it.
0: That sounds great. I can't imagine the number of people who are probably listening and thinking, man, where it is, you kind of set it and now it's hard to make that big change. And what, like, I'm even thinking about it. I have, I'm kind of set. This is where I'm going now. It's two kids, wife, house. We've got, this is the career path now of where it's going. I couldn't even imagine of saying, you know what? I want to do some, I want to do something entirely different.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's scary, but I think that even if you try it and realize that what you were doing is exactly what you want to be doing, then you get to get back into that kind of role or thing that you were doing with a new sense of awe and inspiration and motivation instead of just kind of the crusty old patterns and ways that we've done things. You're also able to approach your work in an entirely different way because you're coming at it from a different perspective. So I really impassionate about the, the concept of unself-help and personal undevelopment instead of self-help and personal development. And it's that idea that mm-hmm. the undoing can often be more powerful than doing. And just, you're often doing more of the same thing as opposed to maybe undoing some things that have caused the problems in the first place and then creating the space to be able to do things that are more aligned with what you actually want.
0: Okay. No, that sounds great. I feel like maybe as I think back in my career path, there was a couple of years where I was in a role that did, I didn't like, but it was more of a "All right, I'm in this. I'm going to give it a try." And after a few months, you realize eh, this is not for me, and you yeah. kind of plan in your like what I was doing before, kind of what you said. Hey, I could have went back to that, but I like what I'm doing. I was doing something like I, really, I thought I'd like it. I don't. I'm going mm-hmm. to go back, and now it was more of a renewed. Okay, yeah, I really I do like doing the stuff I do now so and I really exactly. enjoy it so
2: exactly yeah I, I think it's a powerful way even if you want to continue doing the same thing it allows you to do it in a in a fresh new unique way
0: that's great uh why don't we move into insights marketing day so you are going to be presenting about discussing on writing your book can you give us a preview of what you're going to be talking about there beyond the title.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, of course. So, you know, there's an old, the old way of thinking about publishing was you create a large audience and then you sell a book to that large audience and you make money based on how many copies that you sell. And the new way of doing it is kind of the inverse where instead of using or growing an audience to launch a book, you can actually launch a book to grow an audience, right? So it's like flipping the script. And that's really what I'm going to be talking about. The old way of publishing, as far as the traditional gated way, the only way that you could publish a book is if you have a massive following, which all it's doing is providing more of a platform for those who already have a platform. What about all the other people who have a story to tell, have a book in them, they really want to share their story they're they're locked out of that gate. So unless you want to uh, just self-publish, and, and which is even new today, and a lot of people still don't understand how to self-publish because it, it can be a confusing, uh, you know, business. And there's a lot of scammers out there. But even self-publishing, oftentimes, it's not professional. You don't know how to do it in the right ways. And this is your book. For a lot of people, that's going to be the biggest thing that they do. They want to make sure it's really good. And so the kind of new way of publishing is working with folks like Scribe, and it doesn't have to be with us. And I'm definitely going to cover that in the presentation, all of the different ways that you can use a book to build your brand. So instead of thinking through the lens of selling copies, marketing the book to sell copies, it's using the book as a marketing tool to open up the doors that you want to open and you know, get the opportunities that you've been wanting to get.
0: Gotcha. No, that sounds awesome. Um, my co-host Brian Lamar here. This is actually a conversation he and I have had. I hmm. would say over the last year and a half. Like he he runs all of our study of online panels for EMI, and we produce a an annual report is what we call it, the sample landscape that kind of shows his findings, but it doesn't really get all of that information and knowledge of like 20 years out of his head and he is he and I have talked about this early mornings when it's just he and I in the office of like he's like I really should write a book like I don't I can try to help you I have no idea what you would do on that but like when I saw that you were doing this session I kind of circled that like Brian I'm going (laughs) to try to take as many notes for you as I can on this to see because I think because of all the knowledge in his head it, it would be a great one, and that would be a, a natural marketing tool for us and for his own personal brand.
2: Exactly. And there's many ways of, of going about it, right? Um, and and you can do it professionally, even if you're doing it on your own. And there's ways of doing that, which we can of course talk about. Mm-hmm. But even before the publishing, getting the writing uh, is often the hardest part. Most people put off writing their book for about seven years because it's a scary thing. It's, it's vulnerable too but you don't know where to start, it can feel very intimidating. And so really just uh, starting with the simple ideas around what is the book positioning? Who is this book for? What's an outline and a table of contents that we could create? And then from there, being able to go in and really work through the chapter summaries, so on and so forth, to build out a structure by which it feels a lot less intimidating now to start writing your book, because you already have a whole outline and working book that's, that's happening and you don't have to sit down every day at your computer and try to be carving out the perfect sentences. You can just go to your outline and you can, whatever is grabbing your attention that day, you can just, you know, start to write about. And then even that can turn into social media posts or blog posts, so on and so forth. So as you're just doing your day-to-day regular work that you would regularly do, you're actually, you know, building your book out. So it's just a, a different way of thinking about it. Same thing with like audio messages, right? The, the idea that we have to write, uh, you know, it used to be before you had to write with a, a pen on a paper, then it was a typewriter, then it was a computer. Well, now we can actually send audio messages, have them transcribed, and then edit those or pay someone to edit those down. And now you have a working draft that you can work from. It makes it a lot easier and so the intimidation factor just goes you know to to zero almost
0: that sounds really awesome mainly because as i mentioned that conversation the conversations i've had with brian it always ends up where do i even start because no it's like that i think that's probably the maybe the biggest obstacle for a lot of people is where do i even start so yeah. with the with that tip what are some of the other tips you can give people that are looking to start to write their book?
2: The first thing I would do is actually go to scribebookschool.com. So that's, uh, it's not intentionally a plug. It's totally free. And it's honestly the best resource online to help you write your book. We created that with Tucker Max, who's a four-time New York Times bestselling author. When COVID hit, we really wanted to be able to provide resources so that for everyone who's stuck at home who did want to write their book and this was their opportunity, we took all of the information, everything that we teach here at Scribe, and we put it in that course. So there's templates, videos, walkthroughs, definitely go there, start there. But as far as thinking through the book from kind of this brand perspective, or if you're wanting to use a book to grow your brand or grow an audience or uh, drive revenue back to your business... The first thing that you're really going to want to think through is the goals that you have in the first place and then work backwards from there. So let's say you are, well, even for you, okay? Why don't we use you? Tell me a little bit more why you would want a book to build your brand. What would that look like for you? What are your goals? Are you trying to drive revenue back to your business?
0: It's driving revenue back. It's increasing credibility. It's another avenue of getting the core message out of of our differentiator.
2: Perfect. And then who is your like, ideal audience or, or person to work with? What is your ideal uh, audience member look like?
0: So it is market researchers, whether they are at the full service firm or at a brand that want a more unbiased, want to remove the bias from their quant- online quantitative data to get a more, to make mm. better business decisions.
2: Mm-hmm. And then do you offer that? Like, or is that something where you, that's a problem that people have, right? Yep. And then do you guys offer that as a solution?
0: We do offer that as a solution. Yes.
2: And so it's that idea yep. of like, okay, here's where we want to go. Here's who it's for. Here's what we're doing to serve that audience. And now you have, you know, your, your book concept starting to work from there. Now it's about really trying to, you know, Uh, detail that out in a 30 page document. So now the book is suddenly just being written and you you didn't even realize.
0: it. Right. Yeah. I mean, just talking to us now, what I just talked to you about, we actually held a webinar yesterday around some of this similar stuff. So it almost feels like I have like your 30
2: page document. It's just in like
0: 50 slides,
2: right? (laughs) Not a lot of words, but it's there. And most people, that's exactly where they're at. They have this kind of working idea of what the book is. But again, they're just like you said, they don't know where to start. And it feels very intimidating. Most of us, whether we have the podcast or our pitch decks or our website, like we have the book concept already there, right? It's out probably in the work that we've published in some format or it's in our head. Now it's about just mapping it over to an outline. Keeping in mind, though, again, the goals that we have, like, why are we writing this in the first place? Because that's going to determine the book positioning. That's going to determine the tone by which we are speaking to the audience, the stories we tell, the stories we leave out. So it's really getting clear on that first, because what we often find is folks are writing and writing and writing in circles. And then, you know, you can get halfway through and you maybe even have 100,000 words but it's, it's without a direction, you know, and it's not speaking to the audience that we're actually trying to reach. So thinking, you know, reverse engineering it can make it not only easier, but your book is going to be better because it's going to reach the people that we want to reach. And it will be in the tone that will activate the folks that we're trying to activate.
0: Oh, that's great advice. I have a off, not on our outline question. Does... <laughs> scribe media offer ghostwriting and stuff like that so someone who may just hey i have this idea i can do the outline but i don't know if i have the time to dedicate to write that hundred thousand two hundred thousand words
2: yeah or can absolutely. i get help with that totally so there's two ways that we do that one is is called scribe professional we don't use the word ghostwriting for that service for a reason okay. it's really your words your voice your stories what we do you work with the scribe one-on-one to get really clear on those things that we're talking about the book positioning the audience outline table of contents structure you do that with them so you don't have to figure it all out by yourself you come to the table with that working idea you flesh it out with them then over the course of six to ten weeks they interview you based on that outline and table of contents that we created and you get to sit back and share your knowledge expertise stories and what's really unique is you have someone there who's not only a professional writer, but a professional interviewer. And they're asking clarifying questions, taking things deeper. You know, often we're so close to the trees, we can't see the forest. They're there to bring us back, to come up with ideas, things that we don't think are interesting that actually are. They can put their finger on that and say, hey, actually, let's double click on that for a second, right? So we found this collaborative kind of writing process creates better books. Because when we're again, kind of just trying to write these perfect sentences, we can get stuck very easy in our own heads. And you're using a different part of your brain when you're writing versus when you're speaking. When you're speaking, you're able to access a lot more information, a lot more memories, so on and so forth. So the book is actually better. So that's how we, we get to the content of the book. Then we start writing the book in the author's voice. And I say author because the person who is being interviewed is the author, right? The scribe is right. not the author. This is your book. It's your stories. We're just rearranging your words. So after we do all those interviews and we get all those transcriptions, now we're going to edit all of that. And we're going to start writing the book in your voice to make sure it's in your voice. You get preview pages along the way to make sure it sounds more like Brian than if Brian tried to write it himself. That's the idea. So that we don't call ghostwriting. It's, it's, Everything is your words. Then we do have a ghostwriting service where if you said, "Hey, I want to write a book about the Dalai Lama, but I uh, just want you to write it," then then that is a service that we do offer. But um, it's very rare that people, you know, want want that. I think that that's kind of left over from the old vanity uh, publishing days of, of thinking through that. But um, okay. we do offer both.
0: Oh, well, awesome! Well, what? I am looking forward to seeing you in October, in a few weeks here, as we talk. Uh, I think this session is going to be awesome, but do you want to change gears and have a little fun?
2: Yeah, let's do it.
0: All right. So we're going to do our four Ps. What we did was take the marketing mix four Ps, and we like to attribute, ask some fun questions around them. So first up is perform. What is something that most people don't know about you, or do you have a hidden talent?
1: Mm.
2: Well, uh, most people don't know about me. Well, the, the PI thing these days, most people don't know that, but you brought that up. Um, do I have a hidden talent? I, I am a really good basketball player. As a short white person, you wouldn't think that, but I can, I can play basketball really well. And most people don't know that about me.
0: That, that seems like a good, have some people underestimate you. I like it.
2: Exactly. It works out well on the court.
0: All right. Our next up one is pandemic. And we started this when COVID hit and we were all stuck at home. What is something fun or quirky that you started doing during that time?
1: Mm.
2: Playing gin rummy with my girlfriend. Okay. Yeah. Cards, playing cards. And I didn't think that something like gin rummy would be so addictive, but we've become so competitive. And, um, yeah, we haven't let it go. We're still playing even, even today, for sure.
0: Nice. Um, I wish Brian was here cause he would tell you this story that his pandemic thing is that he got addicted to online marble racing.
2: Marble racing. Yes.
0: Uh, so keep in mind that March to like August period, there were no sports back in 2020 and yep. he is a major sports fan. Like, uh, Every season has a sport for him. And he had a little withdrawal and found it's called Yelly's Marble Racing. It's an autistic kid in the Netherlands every Sunday. Him and his brother set up these tracks and will race different colored marbles. And he still watches it to this day.
2: Wow, that's incredible. So,
0: yeah, mine's not that like that. <laughs> we actually do restaurant probably once a quarter or so. We do a rest, like in home restaurant for my kids. Because oh. during COVID, we couldn't go out to eat. So what they do is they they will do arts and crafts and make their own menus. They'll tell me what they want for a four-course meal. My wife will play waitress. I will play chef. They get dressed up. We set up the front door. They walk in like it's the restaurant. They make their order. We bring it out to them. Wow. All of that. So do they, they think pay? it's the greatest. They do. They do. We have. They make fake money. They pay us. It's everything. So it is love a, it. I love it. To the nines on this, but it's a lot of work. So we try to do it on a special occasion. So,
2: yes, good call. Good call. I love that. That might be my favorite one.
0: So, um, next up, pampering. What is your
2: top indulgence? Top indulgence, Uh, float spa. So I love sensory deprivation tanks, Uh, floating. If people aren't familiar, you basically go into this, um, I don't know what you would call it because they're so different, like a pod that Mm -hmm. you can't see anything, you can't hear anything. And then you lay in a thousand pounds of salt water and you float and the water is the same temperature as your skin. So after some time, you can't feel anything and you're completely suspended. You don't use any part of your body to hold yourself up. And it's the first time in your waking life that you are essentially in the void, not feeling anything. And your body isn't trying to orient you in space and time and it opens up your brain when that happens to be able to creatively think and work through things that otherwise you can't. So it's gotta be that.
0: That, that is a unique one. We have never had that answer before.
2: So it's incredible. If you haven't tried it, I highly recommend it. I mean, it can be a little bit disjarring at first, but that's part of it is being able to sit in that darkness and in yourself and just work through it. It's, it's powerful.
0: If you can get past, if I can get past a little bit of claustrophobia, I might have. Yeah. Initially. Yeah. No, that sounds yeah. good. I mean, normally I mentioned this to people I work with, like I'm most creative, like mid run, like I'll go on a run mm. and I'm halfway. I'm like, oh yeah. And then something will hit me, something I've been thinking about. Oh, and then I have to run even harder to get back. So I don't forget it.
2: Yes. <laughs> so. Yeah. That's because you're creating the, the space for your brain to be able to have those thoughts. And, and it, that's when we may come up with ideas like that is when we're in that kind of brainwave, it's like the theta brainwave state, Mm -hmm. you're able to piece things together that you otherwise wouldn't. The thing about the float tank is it's, it's basically the shortcut to that state and you don't have to run three miles to get there. You get to lay down for 15 minutes and then you're in it. And then you have 45 minutes of exploring it. It's, it's pretty cool.
0: No, that is cool. And our last P past time. What is one of your favorite things you like to do when you have
2: some free time? Mm. Be in nature. Um, go go find water and nature and camping and hammocks and just be outside. Uh, it, it's You know, we talked about me living in Costa Rica and Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned here in my background, it looks like Costa Rica behind me with all of the plants. Uh, I just, I, after living in Costa Rica, I realized the importance of connecting to nature, really where we come from in that sense. I never really grew up, uh, you know, in nature. I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, just like concrete jungle and desert. And having that experience made me realize how important it is any chance I get now, I'm I'm out in nature and by water.
0: That is awesome, Miles. Thank you for joining us today. Is there anything else you want to promote, plug before we let you go here?
2: No, yeah, I mean, go to Scribe Book School if you're looking to write your book on your own. You're going to get everything you need. If you are looking to, you know, uh, potentially publish a book with Scribe, go to scribemedia.com/slash miles, and you can actually book a free call there with me. Otherwise, go to scrymedia.com and check it out. We published David Goggins' book, Can't Hurt Me, which is the number one independently published book of all time. So you're going to be with the uh, kind of the best of the best. But thank you so much for your time and looking forward to meeting you in Chicago.
0: Thank you. Bye.